The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. We have a fascinating topic for you this morning. Hong Kong disguise master outwits counterfeiters. So... Grab your cup of coffee and put your feet up on your desk. We've all seen counterfeit products, brands that are recognizable around the world and are copied every day. This is the new face of international crime. So from knockoff Versace and Prada to Rolex watches to even phony medications and even to counterfeit weapons, counterfeit handguns, assault rifles. Counterfeiting products produces a remarkable 10% of the world's trade growing seven times faster than legal products. So that's the result of globalization, the integrated free trade global economy that exists today. Severe consequences for the world's economy. Knockoff, knockoffs, knockoff products, counterfeit products, undermine legitimate businesses and undermine their profits. So today my guest is himself, the master of disguise and private investigator, <laughs> Ted Kavrokas. Am I, pronounce your name for me, Ted, again. Kavoras. Kavoras. Yeah, I can't do that. Kavoras. Ted Kavoras moved to China. This is amazing to me. He moved to China from Brooklyn, New York, where he was a police officer, a Brooklyn police officer, and studied Mandarin at the Nanjing and Kunming, if I'm pronouncing that right, universities following his retirement as a New York PD police officer. He then became regional manager of an international investigations firm. He's been involved in thousands and thousands of investigations since 1995, many of them as an undercover operative in China. He credits his investigative success to using a range of different disguises and identities. Ted works directly with Hong Kong Customs and the Public Security Bureau authorities in China to combat counterfeiting. He's the operations manager for Panoramic Consulting Limited. He's recently featured, which you should look for, in the National Geographic documentary called Elicit the Dark Trade on PBS, shown working undercover and in cooperation with Chinese authorities in Hong Kong and China. He's been featured on CNN, CNBC, Reuters News Reports, on combating counterfeiting. And, of course, he's made numerous presentations around the world to uh, groups such as Interpol, the Patent and Trademark Offices, the World Association of Detectives, where he is a member, and to private groups, including uh, the OSAC, which he'll tell us about, community in Asia, and groups accredited by the Law Society of Hong Kong. So, good morning, Ted. Good uh, good evening. Oh, good evening for you. It's 1 a.m. in the morning in Hong Kong? That's correct. I think there's a 16-hour time difference. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for staying up late. And I know that you're always also have Chinese New Year there, so uh, you're probably spending some some late nights already. Yes. It, uh, Chinese New Year's is uh, uh, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and New Year's all wrapped up into one holiday here. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we make the best of it. Yeah. And so um, before we start, could you tell us what the OSAC community in Asia is? What is that for? Uh, it's uh, actually uh, an organization of security professionals that work with the local consulates um, for U.S. citizens. Mm. Um, so uh, uh, I'm actually a, a director of the, the, the Hong Kong branch, and and we uh, we meet on a regular basis uh, to provide guidance and, and direction and 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 intelligence uh, to the general community. Mm-hmm. And and in this way, do. 
uh, people that are selling legal products that are being counterfeited, do they, do they come to OSAC? Uh, no, OSAC actually is probably more for uh, physical security. Uh, uh, most people who have counterfeiting issues uh, would come to the trade office and uh, then sometimes get referred to us or, or the appropriate parties by the embassy. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, it's so interesting for somebody with your background as a New York working with the New York Police Department, to end up in China. So how did that happen, and how did you become a police officer anyway? Well, uh, my brother and I both became policemen in 1983. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, we're a real New York family. My my father worked at the New York Times for 30 years. Um, my brother and I uh, both became policemen. And my mother, actually, at the time my brother and I were on patrol in Brooklyn, my mother was an assistant district attorney uh, in Brooklyn, Um under when Elizabeth Holtzman had the office, so we, we used to we used to go you know go go arrest somebody and say to them, now you're in real trouble because you're going to go see my mom, <laughs> yeah. and you know we take them by the collar and handcuffs and, and we would go see my mother who would write write up the arrest in in ECAB, which was a, a booking process, and um, that is too funny. Yeah, it is 1980s. Uh, we had a good time, uh, and uh, I. Uh, I retired early. I retired in 1986 after a line of duty injury. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it, it seems that, well, in, in the 80s, if, you, if your injuries were serious enough to preclude your return to full duty, it was safer and, and less expensive for the city to pension you off to a fairly wealthy pension fund mm-hmm. uh, than it was to incur the potential liability of putting you back uh, to duty or even putting you back to limited duty behind the desk because under New York – penal law, uh, you're still a peace officer, you're not a civilian, and under some some interpretation of that law, you were obligated to take police action, and if you couldn't, uh, the city could be held liable. I see. So, because of the, the, I guess, the litigious nature of the United States, it was easier for them to pension me off. Um, and from there, I, I actually worked uh, as, in a supporting capacity with a number of different federal agencies. I worked uh, in the Eastern District uh, Federal Marshals Bureau as a special, you know, uh, as basically as a as a guard assisting the, the federal marshals in transporting uh, 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 prisoners. So it, it, I kind of fell into this great world of of having a, a gun permit and being in good standing with law enforcement and being able to fit into different agencies when they needed to supplement their manpower. Right. That's yeah. That's interesting. And then, and you, you said that your brother just retired recently. My brother retired. Uh, he was an administrative captain in transportation, and he just retired as a lieutenant uh, after twenty six years. I think. Uh, wow, I feel really old. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and uh, he's very happy. Uh, he's a uh, he's a professional poker player, so uh, uh, he bounces back between Atlantic City and Las Vegas, and he, he's very happy. Uh, I, I think to be retired and to uh, be able to walk out of that job, I think uh, policing in New York is is probably, although it's the best police department, I think, in the nation. Forgive me, all other departments. Uh, <laughs> but, but you're not at all biased. <laughs> no, no, it, it's a great department. It's, it's a large, good training and, and uh, aggressive department. So I, I think uh, – uh, but again, I've been out of the United States for 20 years, so I come back and I feel like a tourist. You know, uh, the uniforms are different, the money is different. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not used to all the bills being the same size anymore. So it's uh, a, <laughs> yeah, I, I am kind of in a time warp. So why in the world did you decide to go to China? Was that was that a big decision, or was it something you always wanted to do? Well, you know, I I, uh, I took a year off of work and I traveled around the world. And uh, I went to Africa first, and I spent uh, five months uh, around South Africa, Zambia, Zimbabwe. Uh, and then I went to Australia, New Zealand, and then I went to Asia, and I ended up going to Thailand and, and uh, Japan. Uh, I had actually worked with uh, some Tokyo Metropolitan Police officers who had come to New York uh, ostensibly to train with us in our organized crime control techniques and, and methodologies, but really – I think uh, when you have department-to-department transfers like that or liaisons like that, it's really to make personal connections. Hmm. Um, And um, so I went to visit them, and I I just found Asia to be very different. And in the 80s, at that time, if you were looking for something different, I think there were two two main different worldviews. One was 
India and the other was China. Mm-hmm. And uh, India still did not do a very good job of hiding a lot of its poverty. And, and China just seemed like uh, an emerging the doors were opening in terms of the mm-hmm. economic changes, and, and I just found that fascinating. I, I actually went to China as an academic and uh, was was not intending to stay in this industry. You And that's why you went to the university to begin with. That's right. Uh, well, I studied Mandarin uh, for a year and then got pulled into this industry, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. I had the right skill set, and, and there was a desperate need for for investigators with this kind of training. Um, you must be. Uh, you must have uh, a propensity for languages because you speak other languages as well. Uh, no, just Brooklynese and Chinese. Brooklynese. <laughs> well, that's a language. <laughs> well, you know, my wife's from China, so I mean, I, I, it's pretty yeah. much home, uh, and we have two lovely daughters. So I mean, um, you know, China's my home basically. But wasn't it difficult uh, to learn the language though? Well, if you want to eat, you learn it. I mean, well, there you go. <laughs> I, 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 I'd have to say I think Asian languages are probably immersion languages uh, where you have to really live there and, uh, because they're tonal. So, I mean, it's it's a bit of a trick to catch them. But actually, Mandarin with four tones is quite manageable. Hmm. Sounds difficult to me, for sure. So, so then you ended up getting back involved in the investigation business. Yes, Uh you, you know, uh, it's really interesting to watch all to be here and, and have lived through China's transformation from, uh, how shall I say, uh, a less industrialized society, more agrarian, uh, and this great push they've had over the last 20 years to, mm-hmm. to be a manufacturing base. I mean, basically, China sold uh, sold itself to the world that, you know, the world needs China and China can do uh, uh, uh reliable manufacturing and mm-hmm. it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy it has been fairly amazing because they are they're now certainly a world power in as far as their exports and and so forth so it is really amazing well i i tell people that the two most similar national identities i find are americans and chinese uh, we're mm. both very nationalistic and we're both very aggressive hmm. that's interesting that's an interesting thought uh, yeah. All right. So um, we're going to take a quick break, Ted. So I just want to let give you a heads up on that. Hong Kong private investigator Ted Kovrok, say it again. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do this. Kovoris. Uh, Kovoris. In, in, in Greek, it means crab. My great-grandfather was a crab fisherman. Okay. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Trying to juggle the need for comprehensive data on a tight budget? Merlin's Investigators Package was created especially for investigative and law enforcement professionals. With the Investigators Package, you'll enjoy tremendous savings over Merlin's pay-per-search pricing. For less than $100 per month, you can access the premium databases most frequently used by investigative professionals. Merlin's Investigators Package, simply the best, most affordable option for research and investigation. To learn more, call 800-367-6646 or email sales at merlindata.com. Free trials are available. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is a master of disguise. He works protecting legal products worldwide. Ted, you were just saying how uh, after going to the university in Hong Kong, you got back, you actually went to work for an international investigation company. Yeah, that's right. I actually went to China. Uh, I went to Nanjing University. Uh, Nanjing is the uh, foremost, it's the southern former capital uh, of China during the Ming Dynasty. Nanjing, uh, southern uh, capital, and Beijing is now the northern capital under the Qing Dynasty um, and now the current administration. Uh, so I, I went directly to China for a year, mm-hmm. uh, and then I studied law in Ming along the Vietnamese border. Um, so I, I, uh, I actually traveled much more in China than anywhere else in the world. I mean, I think I've been to every province and practically every city. Mm. Um, Fascinating. Now, China, I mean, China just was so, I mean, when you become a Sinophile, you become, an, you know, you just become engrossed in China. It's, it's a Sinophile? Just, uh, yeah, a Sinophile <laughs> is somebody who lives here and studies it. And, you know, we, we kind of uh, have these competitions. Uh, for example, we have the triathlon, which is visiting the former dictators, uh, you know, Chairman Mao. Uh, the the, form, the You know, you can you have to view the bodies while they're on display. So we Chairman Mao... Uh, Ho Chi Minh and Lenin. So if you you know do all three, that's one level. Huh. Um, and then you we have other competitions. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay, so you're inside China and you're studying for you're there for a year. Is that where you met your wife? I met my wife. Yeah, a few years later, actually, oh. during an investigation. Um, for the first year, she thought my name was Ted Johnson, and I lived in Dubai. <laughs> She's never forgiven me for that. <laughs> And how did you break that to her, that, that that isn't who you were? Well, yeah, you know, she would call up and she would call Dubai and they would forward the phone to me in Hong Kong. And, and then eventually I, I would meet with her and uh, eventually I had to come clean. It came to a point in a relationship where she kind of said, what do you really do for a living? <laughs> and was she initially astonished or was she angry or what happened? Uh, she loved me, so it was Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Love conquers all. There you go. I get away with murder. Okay. So, so we we uh, well, I I, I uh, in in the in the I came in '94. So I mean, I, I've watched uh, a lot of transition. I mean, Hong Kong uh, reverted back to 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 mainland rule, and and then I actually have to say, I, I think things are working a lot smoother now, hmm. um, be, because uh, prior to the handover. There was a great disparity between what local people could achieve and what expats or people from the Commonwealth could do, mm-hmm. basically people under the, the cloak of the British rule. And now there's a great deal more equality, which which makes it a lot easier. I see. Okay. And um, so, and it, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, in China, we, we you know there was just as they, they industrialized and, and the economy became more manufacturing based. Obviously, brands became more important, and I, I think everybody can see that that the value of intellectual property of branding uh, has increased with the value of digital media, and and that's really taken off like a rocket. I mean, it's the world's become smaller, mm-hmm. and and intellectual property is something that's much more valuable now than than it was when we were growing up. I mean, uh, so so uh, what happened is, I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean. Uh, Fifteen years ago, we we, we uh, went and did a case for for a radio manufacturer. I mean, and and we, we met this you know genuinely lovely man who who had a little factory. And and remember now, China transitioned from not being allowed to to actually build a, you know run a factory to make a living to a completely capital uh, capitalized economy. 
and, and we met this lovely man who had a radio factory and he said, you know, we build these radios and, you know, our sales are okay and, and people buy them. But, you know, we put this label on it, which was, you know, Sanyo or something like this. And he says, and, and people love that. <laughs> and Interesting. He just had no concept that he was copying somebody. And, and huh. we had overcome a level of, of, of that kind of, uh, of ignorance. Um, and also Chinese culture has some level of, of uh, repetition to it, uh, which is, is kind, of a, kind of a compliment as well. Repetition meaning what? Well, you know, learning, learning Chinese uh, really exposes you to the fact that the culture is quite different. You have to learn characters, you know, and, right. and so rote memorization is, is important. And to repeat those characters is how you're tested. And during the, the Qing dynasty, I mean, during a long part of the history, uh, learning characters was a very uh, – uh, well, it, that, that was basically the way to advance, that you had to repeat long segments of, of text. Mm -hmm. and, and that repetition or, or copying uh, was accepted and, and uh, mm. expected, actually. Actually, that's a very interesting thought. So by – Using a brand that they had, that was recognizable was important to them, and it meant nothing more than that it was a recognizable name. That's correct. They didn't attach that that hmm. that belonged to somebody. To, to copy it was certainly socially, culturally, and educationally acceptable. Uh, now, uh, Chairman Mao had a big push uh, to 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 break the molds of, of 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 history, which he felt, and he was quite correct in some ways, kept uh, a. a, a a constant level of, of surfs and, and prevented a lot of people from advancing. So what he did is he simplified a lot of the characters. So you'll notice that in China, the characters are what are called simplified, whereas in Hong Kong, they still use a complex character. In Singapore and Taiwan, they still use complex characters. So even though it may be spoken, Mandarin may be spoken the same, the characters in China have been simplified to allow an easier level of education, hmm. which is really brilliant. I mean, uh, and so, so there, there is this uh, tendency to, to copy that, that had to, uh, the social kind of, uh, it, it's not offensive socially that had to be overcome. And, and I've watched that evolution over the last 15 years. Um, and people now in China certainly do respect intellectual, they're aware of it. Not everybody respects it, I'll say that. Interesting. I could see how the older Chinese would think that would be not a good idea. The older In what sense? I'm sorry. What? In what sense? Well, just the the older the older community would not want to see the change of modernizing the language. I could see how they wouldn't like to see that. Or is that oh. not true? I don't know. I, I think they've been through so much uh, historically uh, over oh, the 20th we? century that that that's a minor issue. Yeah. I, I think people in China want uh, social and and economic uh, stability. And, and I think that's what the government's given them. So uh, I, I think I think it's working quite well, actually. Mm, okay. All right. So when so when you're trying to ferret out counterfeit products, you your clients are would be the owner of the brand. Is that correct? Correct. So how do you how do you go about doing that? You do. You well, okay. My specialty uh, is really. Uh, a, China's, uh, we pretend to be big buyers from overseas and drug dealers have to deal drugs and counterfeiters want to export their products. So given the fact that China is such an export oriented culture and economy, we show up at factories, you know, uh, from using our front companies from around the world, uh, looking like very wealthy customers. And they, they, they literally take us in and show them what, show us what they're selling. Mm hmm. Uh, a lot of times we'll work with the Chinese authorities because they just don't have the ethnic diversity to, to play these roles. Um, I've got about 11 expatriates who work for me here in Hong Kong and China um, from Dubai, from Mexico, from Romania, from uh, Holland, from uh, South Africa, from mm -hmm. many different places where we actually have front companies. So, so we show up as buyers and it's a great way to get uh, intelligence on the counterfeiters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do when I know you use a lot of disguises, are they representing themselves as themselves or are they have some kind of a disguise? It depends. 
It depends on how hot it is. Some, in the south, south, it gets very hot, so our beards tend to fall off after a few hours, so we have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be a good thing. <laughs> Sorry, your mustache half off. Oh, okay. <laughs> have you had that happen? Uh, not exactly, but we have to be careful. Okay. Um, no, I mean, it, it, it really works because, uh, uh, you know, uh, some some people in China making fakes are, are greedy. Um, and I would say that, that uh, although a, a lot of people criticize China uh, for not doing enough, I, I find that they, they really are trying. And people forget that China has a limited amount of resources, uh, given it's not as a wealthy a country as, as the United States, to, to combat counterfeiting. That, that you know, they, they try as much as they can, but you know, it, it's, it's actually the demand from overseas that's driving this industry. So, I mean, China's positioned itself as basically the world's Walmart, the producer of all our goods. And aisle B, maybe uh, somebody's making some counterfeits. It's the demand from overseas that's driving all of that uh, kind of business. Interesting. Interesting. And as we, as you and I discussed on a previous conversation, a lot of times what I discovered from traveling overseas is sometimes these the same manufacturers that are manufacturing the legal products are Manufacturing the counterfeits as well. Well, yeah, China China is also a really uh, big producer of components. So, uh, if people, if manufacturers are not careful about their supply chains, then the counterfeit can actually intervene, and sometimes they do, and they can actually buy those products and assemble the goods themselves. Hmm. Interesting. Just uh, very fascinating, Ted. I know you have uh, some wonderful stories, and I'd like you to, to uh, you know, pick a couple of ones that you think our listeners would be interested in when we come back them from the break. Some more with Ted and defeating counterfeit products in just a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. A heavy caseload and a lack of resources. Sound familiar? Merlin's Locate Services team can help. After 30 years in the investigative business, Merlin knows a few things about the industry. Our team of expert skip tracers delivers a host of skip tracing, public record research, place of employment, and bank asset services to investigative and collection professionals. Competitive tiered pricing is available, and all results are 100% guaranteed. To learn more or to inquire about other professional skip trace services, log on to MerlinData.com or call 800-367-6646. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, private investigator Ted Cabrales, ferrets out counterfeiters copying legitimate brands and brings them to justice by working with the Hong Kong authorities. Ted, tell us tell us some of the stories of how you've been able to bring these folks to justice. Uh, justice is a relative term. <laughs> okay, and explain what that what you mean by that. Well, I, I, I mean. Uh, there are some industries uh, where you, yeah, there's right and wrong. I mean, people who make fake pharmaceuticals are, are really bad guys. Um, they're, 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 uh, we kind of break our cases up into two two categories: one, which are public safety issues, and the other, which are economic. Okay. And obviously, people who make uh, fake medicines and, as you said, firearms, which we don't really deal with. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, very civilized here. It's uh, no, basically, no guns. It's not a gun culture. Um, but there are products we investigate which lead to, to fatalities, and we take them more seriously. And so do the local authorities, both in Hong Kong and China. Um, and then there are, there are strictly uh, luxury goods, which which uh, have an economic input impact, but but not a, a public safety impact. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, justice tends to lead to some moral uh, indication, and... and uh, and that's something I like to raise. I mean, a lot of people buy a fake bag or, or a fake watch, and they say, "Oh, you know, it's just just a toy, just this or that," and 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 they don't really, I think, give it the moral implications that it deserves. Um, it's really the same groups who are importing and exporting the same uh, range of products that affect both public safety and economic safety. So, I I really uh, try to to have people think about it that buying something fake is just not that simple that we need to really make it a level of personal responsibility do you want to support these criminal gangs um well and, and is that who is doing a lot of that, that kind of importing is the gang absolutely. mob mentality absolutely uh, we don't really deal with criminal triads at least at my level because i'm really at the factory level i'm really right right up in the at the face of where it's produced mm-hmm I think the criminal elements are more in the level of distribution uh, that you have in the States and around the world. So I, I deal with the factory. I deal with the businessmen who make the goods, and we try to shut them down at that level, which is most effective for what I do. But I think when you get to the level of, of the goods being distributed uh, legally in the States, you're dealing with some pretty nasty fellows. And and how about in other countries? Is it just – is the state – is the United States the biggest customer, or is it just worldwide? I think it's worldwide, although the United States certainly is the largest economy still. I mean, uh, I, I think a lot of it's directed to, to the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 I try to impress on people, you know, when you buy that watch or you buy that, that bag, you know, think about it. I mean, is, 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 is it really a luxury to, to, to buy something fake? I, I, I actually I, – I could debate that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as cases, I mean, we've had great cases. Uh, last year, um, there's a, a very well-known clothing brand that started opening shops, uh, that discovered shops in Europe that was selling their full range of products. So they, they came to me and said, well, these are obviously coming from China. So we uh, we went searching online. How did they know they were coming from China? Were they marked? Well, uh, just, yeah, the quality of the goods, the, uh, okay. made, most of it was made in China. Okay. Um, and, you know, in, in the United States, we have eBay. In China, we have Taobao. We have Taobao and a num- number of other sellers, which have been far more effective in distribution in, uh, in China than eBay ever could be. Because what Taobao does is it'll deliver the goods directly to your door. So you, you, you can actually go shopping, buy four or five different look at four or five different products mm. and send three or four of them back be- because the cost of delivery is so low because labor is quite cheap. So so they've been able to penetrate the culture far more than, than in the West where delivery is quite much more expensive. And I always find that to be an interesting aspect of, of the web here, how it penetrates life much more effectively than it does in the West. Interesting. How do you spell, how do you spell Taobao? 
Taobao. Oh, I have to write it down. <laughs> Taobao. T-A-O-B-A-O. B-A-O. Okay. Uh, and it's in Chinese, and it's a great place to buy uh, mostly real things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we found a, a woman on Taobao who, who seemed to be of interest, and we met with her, and, and she said, oh, well, you know, I have some other large customers who are in Europe. And uh, so we, 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 we made a, a, a trial buy from her of about 30,000 U.S. dollars worth of goods and, and said we want to open shops in, in Romania. And uh, she was uh, greedy enough to uh, believe us when we said, oh, well, we don't know how to smuggle into Europe. We'd like to buy from your existing buyer in Europe. Um, and she introduced us, and I flew over to Europe, and we met with the guy, and uh, he was uh, greedy enough to uh, take me to a warehouse with uh, about 400,000 euros worth of fake goods, and uh, we, were, we were working together with the uh, Austrian authorities who raided us and uh, arrested me and him all together, and uh, we solved the case. I mean, uh, th- that was a great success, that we actually were able to find out who this ghost was and to stop him. Mm-hmm. I get arrested all the time. Do you? It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hopefully, hopefully it's not for really something you really did. <laughs> well, no, I mean a fake arrest. I mean, yeah, when right. comes, so when the authorities come in and say, honey, I'll be, I'll be late for dinner. She's like, you're getting arrested again. I'm yeah, like, yeah, I can yeah. do it. So in this case, what happened to that company? Well, that was an individual, and, and uh, uh, he was based in the Netherlands, uh, so now he's not a ghost anymore. He's somebody we've actually caught with goods. Now, now it pretty much gets handed over to the lawyers. But what they did is they did a bailiff's raid, I understand, on him. They did a what? And, uh, uh, they had the local authorities, instead of a sheriff, I think it's called a bailiff. Oh, they okay. raided his house. Um, and I, I gave them some good advice. I said, before you raid him, follow him around for a few days. And, and they did. And, and two days before they raided him, they kept on noticing that he went back to one parked car around the corner. So they were able to include that in their uh, warrant. Uh, and inside, that's where they found all the phones and the computers and the records. So it worked out very well. And then, and what happens to him? Did anything? Well, I, I think what they try to do is hurt him economically. I, I know he's having issues. I may have to go back and testify. Uh, uh, he's having issues of tax evasion. He's having issues for smuggling. I mean, he's got a lot of problems now. Hmm. And And did that then connect back to the woman you talked to in China? Absolutely, yeah. She, she clearly was the source because she introduced us to him and, you know, he, he, uh, he, he admitted it freely. So uh, that's the solution. When we can shut down a problem like that, and that, that was a big big pipeline that's, that's that we huge. shut down. It, it works very well. Yeah. Um, I, I guess a year before that, uh, we did a really big case in Dubai with electrical switches, which was, uh, of course, uh, I, we classify as a, uh, a public safety issue because these electrical switches, uh, which go in the wall, uh, you mean like light, like light switches? Not light switches. The switches, actually, the circuit breakers that control the light oh, the switches. Circuit breakers, okay. Uh, and these switches, uh, depending on how much copper they put in them, have different levels of safety. If mm. they, they save money by putting more lead in, in copper, then it's easier to catch fire. Uh, when it's overloaded. So, I mean, there's certainly a big safety issue with that. Uh, so we, we actually found a network uh, that was based in China and then had, had branches out to Dubai, and, and they they were very, very smart because they, they looked for markets where the client could not easily monitor uh, the sales of counterfeits. So they concentrated on the Middle East and Africa, and they based their sales office in Dubai. So I, I flew over as uh, pretending to be a Mexican drug dealer mm-hmm. and uh, – and that was a lot of fun. Hmm. And we, we pretty much shut them down. We, we, we were able to make buys. And um, there is something I, I'd like to mention, which is that, that it's really been fascinating to watch the rules of evidence evolve and mature in China. Uh, when I first got there up until about two years ago, the main – the primary option for clients to take action uh, on intellectual property or trademark violations was administratively through the uh, – through the government, the local government offices. Mm-hmm. Now the Chinese uh, rules of evidence have matured, where you can actually engage a Chinese notary, uh, very much along the French notarial system, to come and witness an event and to give you a notarial certificate that the court will accept. Therefore, we can mm-hmm. then take civil action in, and actually litigate issues. So it's, it's a great advancement. That's a huge advancement. When did that change? 
that changed about three years ago, and we've been working closely with a lot of Chinese notaries to go and document events. Well, one, one cute uh, cute uh, notation is that you actually need two notaries. You need one notary to swear the other notary is telling the truth. <laughs> so, so I always thought that was cute. But I mean, the system works, and, and it's maturing, and and you know, it, it's really nice. To, it's really interesting to watch law evolve and mature right in front of your eyes. Yeah, for sure. So, do you ever feel that your safety is at risk? You know, I have to say, I I, uh, I think uh, China is a very civilized country. There are a lot of uh, uh, laws and, and rules, and I, I really don't think I, I've really been in danger. I, I think I've been – when I do cases in Russia or, or Turkey or some other places, I feel I'm, I'm not always as safe. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but China, China is – South Africa, sorry? I think, you know. Do you, do you carry a weapon? No, Never. 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 Well, that's interesting coming from a former police officer. It took me a couple of years to get used to not carrying a gun, but uh, it, it's quite nice now. It, well, I mean, Hong Kong is a former British colony, so there, there are basically no guns here. Um, uh, the police carry guns, and that's it. And China's pretty much the same. Um, you, you don't need a gun. It's just more trouble than it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be worth. And, and what we do is fairly safe. I mean, if, if the bad guys are suspicious of us, they won't meet with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've made some people very unhappy, <laughs> you know, after after they've been arrested. But, I mean, it's business. It's fair business. So it, it's, uh, it, it's it's okay. It's quite safe. So even when you're meeting with somebody as a uh, uh, potential drug dealer, um, that's that's not a problem. No. I guess, I mean, I guess because you're the bad guy. Right. I'm the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's a cover I took. I, I pretended to be that guy for that switching cases because I was I had to buy large quantities of, of construction material I you know our cartel was opening a golf course was the pretext so we needed all these switches and these plumbing and, <laughs> that's, you know. that's just great the cartel's <laughs> opening a golf course we need to take another break Ted stay tuned for more we'll return shortly Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. A heavy caseload and a lack of resources. Sound familiar? Merlin's Locate Services team can help. After 30 years in the investigative business, Merlin knows a few things about the industry. Our team of expert skip tracers delivers a host of skip tracing, public record research, place of employment, and bank asset services to investigative and collection professionals. Competitive tiered pricing is available, and all results are 100% guaranteed. To learn more or to inquire about other professional skip trace services, log on to MerlinData.com or call 800-367-6646. Trying to juggle the need for comprehensive data on a tight budget? Merlin's Investigators Package was created especially for investigative and law enforcement professionals. With the Investigators Package, you'll enjoy tremendous savings over Merlin's pay-per-search pricing. For less than $100 per month, you can access the premium databases most frequently used by investigative professionals. Merlin's Investigators Package, simply the best, most affordable option for research and investigation. To learn more, call 800-367-6646 or email sales at merlindata.com free trials are available streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com you're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler you can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We've been discussing the worldwide proliferation of counterfeit products and what is being done about them. And my guest here, Ted, um, Ted... Um, you use various disguises when you're many times when you're working on these cases, um, and and could you talk about that just a little bit? Because I think those are fascinating. And and as and when we talked and I could on Skype and I could see your mask behind you, it's pretty interesting. 
Well, we, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of my Chinese staff tease me that all white guys look alike. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's true. And, and, and there is some truth to that because in, in China, you know, our, our, our facial structure is so different. They tend to concentrate on your nose. And it's like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. you, know pizza, you know, you have a big nose. And, and uh, so uh, we, we uh, sometimes put on fake beards and, and, and change our looks in some other subtle ways. Um, we, we do use the mask if we need to. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, again, it, it's, uh, it, it works well. We, we, uh, we normally grow our own facial hair <laughs> mm-hmm. and change okay. that look pretty often. Yeah. And, and we're talking about the kind of full head rubber masks and, and I guess hands that go with them. Yeah. Well, well, you know, for us, we walk in, we walk out. So we'll go into a factory, we'll be there 20 minutes, an hour, and then we'll walk out, you know, so you know, our, a lot of times we'll have hidden cameras on our body and we'll have the fake uh, prosthetics. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we can prepare for our performance, walk in, walk out. We kind of do a showtime. We do a, a final check with each other and, and then go in and do it. It's, it's actually uh, a good routine we have down. Uh, I'm, I, tease, I tease my wife. I'm the only working actor I know who's not waiting tables on weekends. <laughs> so That's good. You know, uh, if, if clients have issues, I mean, if, if – any audience member here uh, hearing this has issues in China with counterfeiting. I, I mean, the advice I would just throw out to them would be make sure your registrations are in order, that you, you, your trademarks and, and, and uh, copyrights are properly registered because China is a first-to-file uh, venue, meaning if, if you have a brand and China's, somebody in China files that trademark first, it belongs to them. Mm. What you have to do is go through a fairly – rigorous and uncomfortable process to prove that you're a worldwide recognized brand and, and uh, that takes a long time and in that interim a lot of people would just be better off buying it from them so we have a lot of cyber squatters as we call them so more and more of our business is trying to get the, that intellectual property back to the rightful owners but China is a first to file and, and it's a problem for a lot of brands that are not quick enough to get their registrations in China um, well, and you know the other thing is I, that many of our listeners may not be aware of is that if you don't if you have a brand and you don't do something to protect the brand you lose it. Exactly what I'm saying. I mean, if somebody yeah. else files for your brand, it's theirs. I mean, you have to then go. You have to prove it's not or, or buy it from them. Right. And you and you do have to take some kind of proactive action to, in some way or another to protect it. And you to show it. Yeah, and show sales in China as well. And and China has a system that works very clearly. It's it's just a matter of 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 you being there to to ensure that your rights are protected. You know, the best saying I heard on how to make a million dollars in China is to start off with a billion, because you can spend a lot of money and lose it uh, if you don't pick and choose the right fights. Mm-hmm. I can see that for sure. You have to know who you're dealing with. And from my perspective, when we do these undercover approaches, uh, the bigger the lie, the more they believe. I mean, uh, you know, if we act like a big, big potential client, a lot of times I, I tease uh, my friends. I look like a pretty girl on prom night when I show up at a factory. I mean, <laughs> you know, they just well, can't wait to come and meet me. So are you able to change your accent? I have to ask you this since you have kind of a market <laughs> Brooklyn accent. And, and you you your, your wife tells you that you're the only person she knows that speaks Chinese with a Brooklyn accent. They have no idea. <laughs> so all people from Dubai sound like you. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah, I thought I thought they told me Toronto. They don't know. I get away with murder, but yeah, sometimes I, I speak uh, pidgin English. You know, you know what? Actually, takes a lot more concentration not to speak Mandarin or Chinese when I'm with them than it does to do anything else. Because you know, while they're driving, you want to tell them, you know, Shaoxin or you know, don't do that. Right. You just really have to control that. Yeah, because I'm I'm sure because you've gotten to the point in your, your Chinese development that you probably think in Chinese as well. Well, I don't think that clearly anyway, but <laughs> at, at least all, all of my staff, we speak Chinese. So, so uh, you know, a lot of times they'll speak, uh, and, and a couple of my staff actually speak some different dialects, like Shantonghua, which, which is a, a, a particularly troublesome place in southern China. So, so we'll actually uh, understand what they're saying when they're talking about us when we're standing there. It's a good oh, trick. That's fun too. That's great. Now, I, I know you're suffering with a cold and a cough today, and I appreciate you being on the show anyway. 
I know you you wanted to make a point, and you you did uh, did to a degree about the moral implications of buying counterfeit products. And was there anything else you wanted to say about that, Tad? Well, again, I think that's a personal decision that people need to come to terms with and and maybe give it a little more weight than than they have been. But when you buy a counterfeit watch or or a bag, think about the implications of what you're doing. And that if you have problems with a brand or counterfeiting in China, there are solutions and there are a number of – or excuse me – or a range of companies that can help you. Well, so is so if somebody has a – would they come to somebody like you, Ted, or would they go to – who would they go to? They could go through a, their legal team or they could come and find an investigator who could give them an appraisal of, of what needs to be done or, or what position they're in. Okay. All right. And again, would you would you like to give uh, your website and the name of your company? Sure. It's, it's panoramicconsulting.com. And the reason I named it Panoramic Consulting was my hobby used to be panoramic photography. So uh, okay. I have a couple of my pictures posted on the site. I, I could have named it Paranormal Consulting. We, we, we read it fine. We knew what he was going to do. Uh, paranoia Consulting. Uh, a paranoia would be good. I think you chose the right one, Panoramic. That's good. I did. I, I, I took the middle road. Yeah. And so if, uh, if there's somebody that was listening that's having a problem in China, they can contact you directly through your website? Absolutely. Just uh, come and send me an email, ted at panoramicconsulting.com, and uh, I'll – if, if we can't help you, I'll refer you to somebody who will. Okay, very good. Well, we, do, we just have a little bit of time left. Is there any, anything else you'd like to leave um, for our listeners that we've talked about today? Uh, while I'm on life support. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, no, I mean, I, I find it fascinating. I mean, again, we have uh, Hong Kong, which is, uh, has a, a very good system of laws under the common law. And China, which is evolving. Ted, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you are a fascinating guest. You have a fascinating business. And I'm sure that our listeners learn things that they never thought. So I'd like, just like to mention briefly our featured sponsor for this week is Brown Yard Programs Insurance, insurance for private investigators and security professionals. At competitive rates, go to www.brownyard.com. Y-A-R-D, programs.com. And then next week, or next, actually in the next few weeks, watch for private investigators Jennifer Magna Hay. Yes, she is finally going to be on from Oregon. John LaJoy from Massachusetts. Kelly Riddle from Texas. Olivia Robinson from California with attorney Mark Mermelstein. So again, stay tuned next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIs Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be right back.